The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Christ. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths right. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto your sight. O Lord, our helper and our redeemer. Amen. All of us have some gray areas in life. Nobody really wanted that gray area to sustain because it leaves you confused to a sort of bewilderment that you are hanging there with uncertainty. I was reading about this author, Dan Brown, author of Da Vinci Code, who says that he actually loves that gray area. Maybe at some spots it is okay, but if 39 years or 50 years, if you are in that gray area, it doesn't make any sense. Given the context of Israelites in Isaiah 40, they are living there in exile. It is close to 40 to 50 years. They've been invaded by Babylonians. They are colonized. They've lost their identity. They've lost their focus or their trust or hope in God because the monarchy has been collapsed, their economy has been collapsed. It is no longer them, but it's somebody who's living there. So given a situation like that, how do you reflect on God? Because last week it was Isaiah 64 where it was post-exilic period. And today it is about the exile, what they're going through. Sometimes calamities, disasters, pandemic makes people numb, afraid, and hopeless. It also undermines or 
weakens their faith in God and lose interest in traditions and practices. It questions the whole idea or the existence of God who proclaims to bring the world into order, into secure and safety. Similarly, even here in Isaiah 40, we see these people abandoned, forsaken, battered community because they don't see God for close to 39 chapters. It is like they are punished because of their deliberate wickedness, because of their sinfulness. It has annoyed, it has infuriated God to punish them more. It is like saying an absentee Lord leaving the servants, leaving his people forever. The presence of God is not there. The covenant has not been realized there as God has, been, has promised. So the Israelites here are, it's not even confused, but they're dead because they do not know what is coming on them. They don't see God anywhere. As we all know, Isaiah is split into three, like first Isaiah, Deutero Isaiah, and Tritero Isaiah, but chapter 40 begins with the second Isaiah, telling us in verse 1, comfort, comfort people, come to me. But you cannot just take that 40 chapter or verse, leave behind all the 39 chapters and think or feel, oh, God is so comforting. God is calling me to come to him. Because 39 chapters, if you read or if you, if you know that context, it is terrible. It is, it is just the war. It, there is no hope, there is no light, there's nothing, it's all darkness. Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, says, chapter 39 to 40, God has muted time. God has muted time. And one more theologian, he says that it is a long intermission. It is a long intermission because Chapter 1 to 39, the people are just going through as if there is no God in their lives. They're just existing, but they don't see Yahweh or the God who promised the covenant he made with them. Nothing seems to be working in their lives because the sin, blame, and shame has been redundantly been projected in their lives because of that Yahweh, God is not showing his face. He's absent. His presence can never be felt. But the second Isaiah makes a drastic and radical shift from that accusation, from that sinfulness, from those iniquities, what we are talking here. Verse 40, chapter 41, we see a radical shift where he begins that God is saying, comfort, comfort my people, just come to me. How soothing, how amazing, and how tender is this call for people who are going through uh, 
a kind of yoke in their lives, not knowing where they belong because they lost everything. It is like in this pandemic times, how we have lost the spaces of familiarity, of normalcy, of comfort. We know what it means to comfort others and to receive comfort, but now we have adapted different ways how to comfort, how to get familiar and new normals. So similarly, we see a, a shift in this chapter 40, verse 1, when God is saying, comfort, comfort, what does it mean when you're going for 50 long years and you're in exile, and God is angry with you, and now God says, comfort, comfort. It is interesting how Isaiah contrasts with other interpreters here and challenges here, not bringing in the sin accusations or blame of Israelites, but rather his outburst is with comfort, with joy, with peace and hope. These are the things he was, he's trying to drive to Israelites, not to reflect on the past, to worry and to discourage, but rather focus on the hope and the joy that God is going to bring into your lives. Everything may pass, the grass dries, the flower withers and fades, but the word of God endures forever. How come that you will not anchor your faith, your confidence, and your hope on the word of God? Isaiah repeatedly says that as the rain and snow come from the heaven and will not return until it moists the land and gives food for the uh, people, similarly, even the word of God, once it is sent from heaven, once it is spoken, it will fulfill its purpose. It will not return back empty. So he wanted, Isaiah wanted his people to know, even if there is no tangible or intangible connections being made with God, but still you, have, you should have hope because Prophet Isaiah is crying out, it is a calling and it's a speaking which happens with voice and word. The first part here is comfort, comfort, a call, a call which is reiterating itself in the promises that God has made to his people that I will never abandon you. I will not leave you like weeping or teary, but I'm always with you. Isaiah is challenging the very notion because the sin of people doesn't adequately explain the historical disaster. Huh? It doesn't explain the historical disaster. So how, how, how many times you want to accuse the people of the sin, of their wickedness? There's something that has happened that the temple or the city of Judah has been ruined. Babylonians have invaded. But why do you blame the people for that when something historical has happened there? 
So he's creating a very firm ground here, in a way, imagining to create a, 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 theolo a theological status quo against the shame and blame. We are blaming you for something, but uh-huh, it's not that. God is different, but this is how you are. Because the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they've always accused the people of the sinfulness, but Isaiah sees this differently, makes a radical shift to let people know that God is there to bring you peace, the comfort, the joy, and hope into your lives. But what we need to do for that is prepare the way of the Lord. You have to repent, as in Mark's gospel we see, John the Baptist is announcing, proclaiming that repent, prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Prepare. Prepare happens when you know that the presence of the Lord is working in your lives. The Hebrew translation, when we talk about prepare, means, uh, when we talk about the coming of the Lord, means it is the presence of God. It is the presence of God. Know that when you prepare, whatever you are going through, that the presence of Lord is with you. Every valley shall be lifted up. The mountains and the hills may, will be made low, which means the equality or the equity or like the things which we are in a worldly sense putting down, all that we have to give up and become equal in the sight of the Lord. So the prepare the way of the Lord, make highway because the king is approaching coming your way to meet you. These days, during this Advent season, especially the Christmas time, we are preparing in many different ways, but are we preparing to receive the king to come into our hearts? That is what Isaiah is saying. I'm coming to comfort you, the promise that I've made, and secondly, my presence is with you, but you prepare, prepare a highway that I come to you when you prepare yourself with repentance, with confession, that you're willing to take God into your hearts. And thirdly, we see the power of God. When we talk about the power of God, the 39 chapters, the power is entirely different. It is a God who commands, who punishes, who judges. There is no mercy, there is no grace, there is no forgiveness. It is because of, of your sins, everything gets double and multiplied. But here, the God's call is a call who tenderly calls us to come to him. The power here is weak. It is, he has stretched his arm not to punish, but that power of the arm is to bring you back to the fold. As the shepherd, how he gathers his sheep to his bosom. Here we see that kind of call, a tender call, a call which is a comfort to our hearts and our souls. So Isaiah is bringing that kind of feeling or uh, creating a new song in the lives of Israelites. 
life-creating song, I would say, because 39 years, for decades, they are in exile, not knowing what is hope, not knowing what is joy, not knowing what is peace. And now he's recreating that new song in their lives to help them realize the promise, the presence, and the power of God in their lives. But what is more important is never to lose hope, even in these situations, when things are gloomy, bad, dark, still there is hope, there is light, always shines. We have to look at that light and derive that, hold on to that kind of hope in our lives. There is this character, Jerk. In 1979, there was a movie, Jerk, and when people talk about hopelessness, usually they mention this character. So this guy comes to a feeling of failure in his life, and he sits at his home and he says, he makes an announcement, okay, I don't need you anymore, I'm just quitting, I'm just leaving. And as he's preparing to leave, he will just pick an ashtray. And he says, okay, I need this. And while he's going, then he'll pick the TV remote. Then he says, okay, I need this. And you wouldn't believe in some time, like he will pick all the other things, the hopeless and waste things, like no, he's just full of those things in his hands. This is a vision of hopelessness, not knowing what kind of hope we are holding on in this world. The question to you is, if you have lost all hope, what would you pick? The call here from Isaiah to, his, to Israelites in exile is the word of God, the enduring word of God never fails. That is our hope, our salvation, and our light. May God bless these words, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.